are a God that uh, walks with us through the valleys. You are the God who rejoices with us in the mountaintop experiences. And, and Father, we come to you today as worshipers, grateful for the work that you do in our hearts and our lives, that you go before us, that you don't waste anything, you go behind us, that you use all things to bring together good in our life. And I just pray, Father God, today for the person that may be here today that finds himself right in the midst of a struggle, right in the midst of dealing with situations or things that they're seemingly wanting to spread confusion or doubt or fear into their heart and their life today. And I pray, Father, that they can come in here today to this place and there would be freedom of the Holy Spirit here today. Freedom of the Holy Spirit to minister deeply into the need that we have, that we bring to you today. The ministry of the Holy Spirit that can take the, the word of God, the, 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 the scripture, the teaching, and apply it very uniquely and individually to our hearts and our lives. And we are praying today, Father, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit here to speak to our hearts and to replace the despair with great hope, to, to replace that, uh, that doubt with strong faith. Father God, we know that you care about us. We know that you love us. We know that you have our best interests in, in your heart and in your mind, Father. And I pray that you would forgive us for those times where we feel like you're not responding quick enough or you're not doing what we think you ought to do or we just express those 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 seeds of doubt and we, we repent of those today father god and we're just so amazed over and over how you continue to work with us and refine us and and build us and strengthen us and detach us from the world and I pray that this, this hour, this day, this passage of Scripture would serve those purposes in our life. Uh, I pray, Father God, that you would bless us as a church these days, that you would walk with us through the transition that we're in. I pray, Father God, that you would go before us, that you would prepare the way so that the name of Jesus may be lifted high on Shell Road in just a few weeks, Father God. We just pray that the ministry of Christ Jesus and your wonderful grace and your marvelous truth would just, just continue to express itself and be a shining light. Father God, we pray for all the logistics of this time in our church's life. May you use it spiritually, Father. May you use it spiritually in our, our hearts, in our church, but also in this community, Father so that people would see how good you are, Father. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. And amen. Amen. We do want to, to continually announce from now till the time that we relocate our church uh, that we are moving. Uh, the last service here is June 22nd. We'll begin to worship June 29th at uh, 2100 Shell Road. Um, so we're trying to give as much lead time to that as possible. Uh, we've kind of set the designated dates of June 12th, 13th, and 14th, which is a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, to move the bulk of the material from this building to that building. And so if you have any availability on that Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, trucks, trailers, all those things, uh, we're going to try to get a lot of it done during those three days. And then there will be another move after our final Sunday here of the remaining items. So... I think there's a sign-up sheet out there that you can let us know or call the office, email us, and we'll put you on the list to be informed of all those kind of things. 
We also want you to know that the mission trips to Belize and Moldova are coming up in August. It's not too late to sign up. This is kind of a last call kind of thing. We've already purchased tickets for those that are going, but uh, if you would like to be a part of those trips, uh, they're in early August. They kind of overlap each other in the first couple of weeks of August, so if you would like to go, uh, or if you'd like to support someone that's going, if you'd like to give an offering to those trips, that's always welcome and appreciated. Uh, we have an Ecuador trip coming in October, so we have some time there, but uh, just want to continually make you aware of those opportunities for service and ministry on foreign missions. Um, we are in the study of the book of Genesis and the life of Abraham and his relationship with God, and we uh, first picked him up uh, in the story in chapter 12 a few weeks ago, and it's where God gave his first initial promise to Abraham and said that he would make him a great nation. And um, he said that he would bless Abraham. In fact, he said he would make Abraham a blessing to all the families of the earth because through the lineage of Abraham came Jesus Christ and he has blessed all humanity. Then God in chapter 13, again, he comes and he reaffirms this promise with Abraham. I'm going to make you, Abraham, this great patriarch of a nation. Uh, he also promises to give Abraham and his descendants this promised land of Canaan. It was to be their promised land. In chapter 14, uh, if you read through there, skim through there if you have your Bibles, uh, chapter 14 is all about a, a, a war. It breaks out, and it's quite a story between all these kingdoms and kings. And at the end of that chapter 13, or 14, uh, Abraham uh, uh, declares victory. He wins the victory, and he brings back all that the enemy had stolen. And, um, and then we come to chapter 15. And... Uh, the Bible doesn't really give us any hints as to how much time has passed since that first encounter Abraham had with God about this promise to be the father of a great nation. Uh, but we see lots of events that occurred. We see lots of travels that have occurred. And so we can assume weeks, maybe months, maybe even a year or two has passed since that initial conversation and promise that God had given to Abraham. And so in chapter 15, we have another conversation and uh, the focus of this series is really about the relationship that Abraham and God have together. And so here's a conversation between God and Abraham, the first six verses of Genesis 15. It reads like this. And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. You know, when you first read that, I was just reading it and thinking about maybe the first time I read that, it's just kind of a nice little scene, God and Abraham. But having studied it many times, and especially this past week, it's... Uh, there's so much in this little conversation that I hope we can unpack today. You know, a lot has happened since uh, God first spoke, as I said, and 
when, when God first spoke to Abraham, how old was he? When he got the initial promise, he was 75 years young, right? Right, some of you are right, yes. And so we don't know um, how much time has passed here, but um, we know that Abraham is, in his response here, has some feelings he wants to express to God. And God first initiates the conversation by coming to him and saying, Abram, don't fear. Don't fear. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. I know time has passed. I know that we started this when you were 75, and I know that it's not getting any different yet, but don't fear. I will protect you. I will keep you alive. And your reward will be greater than you can even come up with and imagine. He's reminding Abraham that I know what I'm doing, Abraham. I will protect you. I will reward you. I just love the fact that God understands sometimes that he's hard to believe. <laughs> Aren't you glad that? <laughs> that he will give us communication. He will speak to us through his word to help us understand that he really does know what he's doing. He really does have things under his control. We may find them confusing. We may wonder why it's taking so long. Well, have you ever wondered why God takes so long sometimes? Does it seem like God is slow sometimes? You may be going through something right now that's, that's tough, it's difficult, and you're wondering, how is this all going to turn out? You pray about it. It may be a physical condition or a job or financial, and you just pray about it, and it doesn't seem like, why is God so slow? You know you belong to him. You, you believe his word. And yet sometimes you get the impression that God is just kind of overlooking your circumstances. His promises race through your mind and yet you just don't see it happening. No breakthroughs. And sometimes it's, it's hard to submit to the time schedule of God and just believe that God knows what he's doing. There's a verse over in 2 Peter, uh, the third chapter, verses 8 and 9. If you're struggling today with the speed at which God is moving in your heart and your life, look at this. It says, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. In other words, he doesn't measure time the way we do. Number, verse 9, the, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. That some is you and me but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And the, the verse that, that I read here is, it really has to do with the return of Christ Jesus, that his, his tearing, his waiting is so that more and more would come to him. But it's also universally true in our lives, isn't it? God is not slow. He's always on time. Amen. He is always on time. And we all ought to say amen. He is always Always on time. I just need to affirm that in my own spirit sometime. God, you're always on time. Seems to me like you're late, but you're always on time. <laughs> right? You've been there, right? God is doing things. God is, is, is doing things that we can't see sometimes. God is in the process. We're always looking at the end goal. God, come on, let's there, let's get it. Let's go. Let's 
And he's saying, no, there's things that are happening in your life along the way that is really what this is all about. That's what this is all about. You, you, you think it's about that thing down there, but look at all the change I'm making in you through the, the struggle or the pain or the difficulty. Or... And my first point is, is simply this. God is not so much about the goal as he is in the process. In other words, he doesn't think like we think. We're always success-oriented. We want to get it done. And, and God is saying, I want to work with you. I want to be with you. I want to develop you. You see, he had promised Abraham, and yet week after week and month after month is passing by and no fulfillment of the promise on the horizon. But is God doing something in Abraham during this period of time of waiting? Does Abraham need some things done in his life? Well, all you got to do is look back a few chapters and see when he goes to Egypt and passes his wife off as his sister to try to fool Pharaoh. I think Abraham needs some adjusting to his character. And God is shaping that, building his belief. You know, it's hard for us today. We, we, we have to admit that we live in a world that grants us Instant gratification so many times, doesn't it? I mean, when, when noon comes today, you're not going to have to wonder what's going to happen, right? You're, you're going to go find something eat, to eat. There's probably going to be something that you desire, you want. You have many choices. We have immediate answers. We, we, we want quick fixes. This instant gratification we want, we, we believe subtly, our minds know it, but in some ways, we really believe that, um, that when pain comes, it ought to be short-lived and get out of our life quickly. We don't want to wait for anything. We love uh, credit cards <laughs> because we think we're entitled. And, and yet God, in the way He works in the heart of man, He realizes that it's in the fire that we are refined. And everybody says, amen, love the fire, right? It's the struggles that produce his best work in us. We probably know it, but we don't like it. It's contradictory to the world in which we live, the society in which we live. I know you could testify, and I testify today, that I've seen in my life that the deep richness of God the deep work of God is seen when he walks with me through the valleys of my life. The bond that grows, the, the closeness that we share is most pronounced when the struggle is the hardest. And I've come to believe that the depth of our relationship, I don't think we can realize it in any other way. In, in verse 2 of this passage in chapter 15, we have the first recorded words that Abraham speaks to God. We've had a few conversations before, and it's really probably not the best term to call them a conversation because only God speaks. <laughs> but here we do have a two-way conversation. and I want you to see how Abraham responds to God saying that I will protect you and I will reward you. I mean, wouldn't you like God to just say that to you? 
I will protect you. I will reward you. It would just build your faith, right? Well, Abraham takes a different path here. He says, O Lord God, what will you give me since I'm childless? That's just a poke in the eye of God, isn't it? You promised me a child, and I'm reminding you, I don't have one. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. In other words, since you haven't given me an heir, I'm taking matters into my own hands, and this servant that's not of my own blood, he's going he's to take everything I have, God. You ever presented your case to God about how bad things are? He's saying, Lord, I hear what you're saying. He says, since you've given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. In other words, Lord, I hear what you're saying, but I don't see any indication that it's happening. So it looks like if a great nation is coming out of my house, it will come through one of my servants. After all, I'm getting past time to be able to father children. And Sarah, my wife, oh my word, she is old. (laughs) Have you ever gone and just dumped on God like that? See, all this stuff, that's not going to happen. Impossible. I call it a little bit of whining here. He's stating back to God what God already knows. and uh, It looks impossible to Abraham. And so he's coming up with this solution that he thinks is going to make the whole thing work. And... Uh, as I studied that and read that, I thought, how many times have I come up with good ideas for God to consider? God, you know, I think it would be best if you would do this. You know, I think back about how our new church building all came to pass. And, you know, several years ago now, the elders believed that it was God's will to purchase this property and on Shell Road, and one day in the future we would relocate. We bought the property, and we just kind of held on to it for a few years. A few years later, we put this property up for sale, and uh, we felt like it was time to take a next step, and so we put it up for sale, and we wanted to be good stewards, we felt, and we wanted to uh, play it close to the vest, and so we said, okay, uh, let's just put this up for sale, and once it sells and we got all that money in our pocket, then we'll start forward and build. And then month after month went by, and we waited for someone to come along and buy this piece of property, and, and you all kept coming. <laughs> more and more of you kept coming. And so then in January of 2013, we were having our annual elders retreat and we were discussing the possibilities of the crowded hallways here and the things that were going on and the fact that it didn't seem like anybody was interested in buying our property. And we just felt strongly as our conversation and our prayer time that day developed and we just felt strongly that we just needed to strike forward and move forward with building this building. And so we put the plan in motion. We broke ground a few months later, but still no buyer. And our prayers were getting more and more fervent. <laughs> there were times when I, found, well, I would find myself coming up with ideas to make the numbers work and presenting them to God and telling Him, Come on! But you know, at the same time, God was bringing us great blessing. There were more and more of you coming to be a part of this ministry and 
it seemed as though as if we started the building, it was almost like something kind of broke loose as far as what was going on here. And there was more and more people. We went to those three services for 10 months. <laughs> and then guess what happened? We were a little bit more than halfway through the building process. God brought us a buyer for this facility. Not only that, it was a school that didn't need the property until the fall of 2014. Not only that, they would let us stay here rent-free until our building was done. And I look back and I think if we had sold the building when we thought it was right, before we started building, we would have had to move twice and... Whew, thank you, Lord, right? If we had sold the building to another church at that time, or actually any other buyer, probably except a school, we would have had to move before our new facility was ready, even if it was for a month or two. God's timing is perfect. He is never late. And my second point, this may apply to your life today, is that God is always working, just trust Him. God is always working. He knows what he's doing. And we just need to trust him. You know, one of my points last week was God moves in mysterious ways. Go with it. <laughs> you know what happens next in this conversation between God and Abraham is, I, to me it's just moving, but it's one of those greatest insights into the character of a loving God that we get in all of Scripture And I have to tell you, there have been several times in my own life where I've been discouraged or impatient or feeling like I didn't measure up. And I've come to this passage, Genesis 15. And I read these verses again. Because Abraham's discouraged. He's impatient with what he perceives as the delay of God. He's really getting seeds of doubt planted that this is ever really going to happen. Maybe it's not really what God wants, or maybe God's changed his mind. And the response of God to his doubt or taking matters into his own hands is that God really basically says, just get rid of these ideas, Abraham. He says very directly, this man will not be your heir. You, Abraham, will have a son. Deal with it. <laughs> he's direct. He's firm in restating his will for Abraham. He's correcting. He's admonishing this doubt. He's saying, trust me in this. I know what I'm doing. I will honor my promises. I don't go back on my word. Has God made us promises in his word? Many, many promises. He will honor them all. Then I love what happens next. He gives Abraham a little object lesson. He says this, this is a teaching moment for Abraham. The passage says that God takes him outside. Now, how does that work? You know what I mean? 
God takes him outside. It's kind of like a dad putting his arm around a struggling child and saying, come on, let's just go out on the back porch and have a talk. He sees the struggle. And I I get this impression that God just says, I I just want to show you something, my son. He knew he was discouraged. He knew he was having difficulty hanging in there, waiting on the will of God, waiting on the perfect timing of God. And so God takes him out on the back porch and he says, look up into the night sky and see all those beautiful stars. Abraham, I'm telling you right now that this is going to happen. You can't number all those stars and no one is ever going to be able to number all of your offspring. This is going to happen. I remember being at a conference. It was a it was one of the way back when in my life, it was a pa- Promise Keepers Pastors Conference. Jack Hayford was preaching on this passage, and he said it was like God was telling Abraham, Listen, the deal is still on. <laughs> We're still doing this. And I remember how it touched me. I was, it was a difficult time and a difficult season for me. And, and, and there's these feelings of being shelved or archived by God were running through my mind. And maybe he had just moved on to someone else. You ever felt that way? And yet that day I was reminded that God, God always has purpose for the rest of our lives. He has plans for us. He has plans that are good for us. He has those moments that he wants to come alongside you and say the deal is still on. I'm still good for my promises. I will still bless you. Walk with me. Go with me. And I've learned this third point so many times in my life, but it's so true. God will encourage us in the midst of our pain. God will encourage us in the midst of our pain. But we must look for him. We must look for him. We must want him more than we want. Okay, understand this. We must want God more than we want the elimination of our pain. If we're, hold, if we're withholding love for him and saying, Lord, I just really need you to fix things and then we'll be okay. <laughs> we'll miss out on this, what he's doing in the process. And so he wants to encourage us. And sometimes when we're struggling and we're dealing with stuff that's heavy and I've learned in my life to begin to look for signs that God is speaking to, to me. Look for Uncanny coincidences. Look for signals. Look for a passage of his scripture that just, wow, that speaks directly into what I'm going through. Look for object lessons. Go out on the back porch and look at nature. Watch, watch the birds play. The squirrels run up and steal all the birds' food, right? <laughs> and you begin to understand that God wants to speak in so many different ways to us. He wants to bring this encouragement to us. 
sometimes all we really need to know is that God knows what's going on. And He cares. I'm convinced that we can get through anything if we just know He's there. He's with us. Well, how do you think Abraham responded to this little back porch conversation? (laughs) We don't get any words from Abraham, but verse 6 just says this, Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. You know, some have called this verse, John 15, 6, the John 3, 16 of the Old Testament. (laughs) It's the concise presentation of the gospel message. It describes this great exchange or transaction of God's grace. We believe in Him and He grants us, credits us with His righteousness. Abraham didn't do anything. He didn't perform well. He just believed that what God said is true. And he was declared righteous by God. Simply for believing. And it's, this verse is so profound that uh, if you look through the New Testament, you will see that a full two and a half chapters of the New Testament is devoted to explaining this verse. <laughs> all of Galatians 3, all of Romans 4 is just explaining how grace works, even from this point. And half of James, the second chapter. When Paul was writing to the Galatians, he was addressing this huge problem. Can you believe this? But the Christians had started applying rules to their faith. (laughs) Galatians. Can you believe it? They were saying, you've got to do this and do this and do this to be good. If you're not doing this and this and this, you're a bad person. You're a bad Christian. In fact, you've got to obey all the Jewish law because the Jewish law is good and it's good for your health and it's good for everything about you. So you can be a Christian, yes, but you've got to follow all these laws that we have. Can you believe anybody putting rules on the Christian faith? Aren't you glad that's so far in the history of things that doesn't happen today? They were actually saying, Jesus, your grace isn't enough. We still got to pile on these rules in order to be righteous. Paul sharply disagrees. Uh, look how he starts in Galatians 3. Now, I couldn't get away with this, but Paul can. He says this in Galatians 3, 1, You foolish Galatians. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you, tricked you, deceived you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? You saw him die on the cross. What an amazing demonstration of grace. And yet you're buying into all these rules Verse 2, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? How did the Spirit of God even get in you? Was it as a reward for your good behavior? Or just believing that God had provided this great salvation and it was imparted to you free? He's making the point that it is foolish to try to live by rules to produce righteousness. Because we can't do it. If you're, let's say you are just the most disciplined person in the history of the world, and 
and you follow the rules so well, and you are, you're, or your life is so spiritually religious, and you are just never going to sin, and you're going to walk the straight and narrow all the time. Well, if you succeed at that for a period of time, what happens in your spirit? I'm pretty righteous. I'm also pretty proud. <laughs> Uh-oh, just broke a rule. <laughs> Can't be proud and righteous. And so living by the rules, if you're good at it, <laughs> well, you're proud. And if you, if you are like the rest of us and you fail and you can't live by the rules, then you just beat yourself up and you get discouraged. So living by the law, living by the rules always just produces either pride or discouragement. Those are really the only two options. You never get righteousness. You never gained righteousness by how good you can be. Because righteousness is the impartation, the gift of God, simply because we believe. Just believe. I thought about taking some excerpts from uh, the rest of this chapter, and I just have to read like eight verses here. It just, uh, there's so much that we, in our context today, need to understand Look what it says, starting in verse 6. He says, Even so Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. In other words, it's not just because you're a Jew. It's those who have faith in the Christ. Those are the sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. That's chapter 12 of Genesis. So then those who are of faith, us, are blessed with Abraham, the believer. So all that is good for Abraham is good for us. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. It's not only that you're not going to be living in righteousness, but your life will be living under this darkness, this cloud. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. And we can't do them all. And now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of that law, having become a curse for us. He took our curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, you and I, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit by our good works. No. Simply because we believe. Through faith. And when we believe that God knows what He's doing, we are righteous when we trust Him in the middle of our struggle, we're demonstrating righteousness. When we forsake all our efforts to fix the problems and handle the things on our own and surrender it all to Him and understand that He's in the process, we are righteous. So point four is God will give you, righteous, God will give you righteousness. You, you can't earn it. God will just give it to you. Stop trying to earn it because you can't. You can't. Instead of focusing on trying to be all those things, just focus upon Him and who He is and how beautiful He is and how wonderful He is and how much He cares and 
draw into him and then you will begin to see the fruit of the spirit exemplified through your life just believe you see there's it's it's it's, it's no pride pride can't get in there because we've taken ourselves out of the equation we've we've completely submitted it all to the plan of god and it's his will I, I trust that he knows what's best for me. I trust that in due time he'll bring it about. I, I, just, I just want him in the midst of what this is that I'm going through. I, I want to know him in a more profound way. Use this time of my life, Lord, to bring me closer into who you are. I understand the more I know you that my life here is so temporary in this world. I, my home is heaven. I I know that you want to give me new purpose, new vision, new meaning. Today, he may just want to put his arm around you and say, the deal is still on. (laughs) Trust me. I, I, I want to take you deeper than you ever thought possible. And you know, sad thing is, in our culture today, so many people miss it because, well, they want God working it out now. I, I'm, I'm impatient. Come on, God, if you're not going to come through, I'll go somewhere else. I, I... And they choose to be bitter or angry or... And he just wants us to trust that he knows what he's doing. And so it's a call to faith today. It's, it's a call that God is bringing to us to say he, he wants you to know that He's fully aware of what is going on. And He has this, this, this huge plan that He wants for you. And so he, he wants us to stop coming up with your fixes. You know, I say that a lot because that's my, that's my area. Okay? We all have our vulnerable areas, don't we? When I see a problem, I want to get it fixed. Is there anybody else that shares that? You know? Rather than seeing a problem and saying, Lord, what do, you, what do you want to do through this? How can you use me? What's the greater thing going on here? He wants us to just reject bitterness over stuff. Get anger out of the situation. Try to, to come to him and say, Lord, take me deeper through this. I believe. I believe that you are doing things that I cannot see to accomplish things that I could not even dream of. Trust him. Father, I just... Uh, Thank you for this little vignette in Abraham's life. and uh, He's so much like us. He expresses this impatience with God. And, and you didn't browbeat him or tell him how childish this was or stop your whining. or You didn't do any of those things. You understood how he's working through his faith and you gave him what he needed to be encouraged, to be lifted so that the scripture would say that he believed you. 
and you gave him your righteousness. Father God, we are grateful for the, the power of belief that it's not up to us, it's up to you. We're so grateful, Father, that we can just rest with you, that we can enjoy you, that we can see the, the things that occur and pop up in our life here, and we don't have to be hopeless and despairing, Father God, but we have a, a fountain that we can come to that is rich and full. And that you can use all things for the development of our character and for our good and for our future. And Father, I am praying again for the person that may be here today that uh, doesn't see you in the midst of what they're going through. And uh, has the temptation to doubt or to whine or to tell you how bad it is. And why don't you do something? And you're saying to them today, Lord, to... Know that you know and that you care and that you're doing things that they can't even see and that they are calling, being called by you to let go of it and to place it in your care, to let you take it and use it in ways that they never thought that were going to ever happen. For the impatient one here today, Father, I just pray that you would help them in their journey. I pray, Father God, that you would help them recognize the impact of the culture in which we've been raised here. The pressures of the culture to say that uh, you are not slow. That we, we just want to... We just want to see what it is that this day has for us. We want to see what tomorrow has for us. We just want to walk with you through this journey. And in the midst of that, Father, that you would reveal that you are encouraging us, comforting us, that you are there. And so, Father, as we come to the close of this service, we just want to sing this declaration that we want you to be the Lord of our lives. We want you to have the mastery of our, of our schedule, of our decision-making uh, we want you to be Lord over all things that we may just walk in your ways, walk in your will, and that we will not get ahead of you. and We will not grow impatient or weary, but we will rise up with you. We will soar with you as the scripture teaches if we just wait upon you, Father. Father, we sing this to you as our prayer. Let's stand together. Let's join together. Be the 